From the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is the Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and I'm joined today by Jennifer Hoffman, president of InSync Training, a consulting firm that specializes in the design and delivery of virtual and blended learning. She's a recognized thought leader in the field of synchronous learning and the author of such books as The Synchronous Trainer's Survival Guide and How to Design for the Live Online Classroom, and the co-author of the title Tailored Learning, Designing the Blend That Fits. I'm very pleased to have her with us today, and we're joined also by Jennifer's colleague Felice Banner, learning experience designer and curator of the InSync Blended Learning Hub. I'm going to have to ask you all about what that means in a moment, but welcome to you both, and thank you for joining me here on The Learning Circle. Thank you. Thank you. So blended learning, I wanted to talk to you about blended learning today. And you are workshopping your uh, expertise here at Learning Solutions. Yes. It appears that blended learning has taken hold. It is not a passing fad. It's here to stay. And yet some of us still need help selling its value to our stakeholders, right? There are always going to be those folks that need a little convincing and we need help gaining buy-in. How do we paint the picture? How do we show that blended learning meets the expectations of the modern workplace? The reason I think we're having trouble getting the buy-in is because it's easy to do a one-day workshop. It's one and done. We did a one-day workshop on how to do blended learning because mm. it was easier to do it in a one-and-done situation. Yes. Blended learning takes a long time to get done. It might be a week. It might be a month. It might be three months. And that can be frustrating. However, by time releasing the content in a blend in a well-designed way, we can put the right content in the right place at the right time. So it's more authentic for our users. They don't need to memorize eight hours of content. They can learn. They can practice. They can reabsorb. And they can reflect on what they've learned before moving on to the next step. Very different from drinking from the fire hydrant, right? It is. Yeah. And I think we also, some of the challenge comes from the notion that blended is not necessarily always formal learning. And when we start talking about informal learning, ways to measure the results of those informal learning moments or elements is really difficult. And it's difficult to translate into an environment that doesn't want someone watching a video at their desk, that doesn't want someone pulling out their phone to look up information. So Bumping really, up into some cultural absolutely. norms and expectations. Absolutely. So yeah. those are some barriers. Yeah. Those are some barriers. And you asked, how does the modern blend support what we're doing now? We do need to overcome these cultural barriers. And the way we do that, it starts with instructional design. It doesn't start with technology selection, which is what we really want to do. We want to yes. buy, articulate, and Adobe Connect, or whatever your tool set is. But if we step back, Really go to our needs analysis. Who are our learners? Develop learning personas so we know when people need to learn and what they need to learn. And then what you do is you identify the individual moments of learning need. Bob Mosher and Conrad Goffertson, that's their theory. Yes. It's five moments of learning need, which says when we need to learn something new. We're very good at that. We're very good at anticipating as a culture when we need to learn something new, we can create formal training. But the other moments when we need to learn more, when things go wrong, 
when actually applying what we've learned. And then when things change, those different moments of learning need are also important. As a matter of fact, that's when our learners really need us the most. We're good at the formal stuff, but all those other moments, they're informal. And we need to figure out what types of things are going to go wrong so we can embed learning right at that moment. We have to anticipate what other things they might need to know in three months or six months or what they might need to refresh their memories about and embed things like the micro-learning videos or infographics or job aids and worksheets. And we need to know who they are. You know, you mentioned that very briefly, but our learners are modern learners, mm-hmm. right? We hear this, we hear this every day. The Burson Deloitte research, our modern learners are distracted. And it's, I don't think it's all about, you know, distracted. I have no time. We need to be engaged in our moments of need. When I am at my desk or, you know, I'm on the line in the manufacturing plant and something breaks, what am I going to do right then and there? I'm not going to stop and go to a formal training. It's not just about help. It's about educating me in that moment. Who are our learners and where are they situated? When Jennifer talks about authentic learning, when we all talk about authentic learning, what does that mean? To say that I am learning where I am. If I'm going to be driving this truck, teach me in this truck what I need to know. And finding ways to authentically assess as well. How will you know if I'm driving a truck, if I'm taking a test down the hall, right? You'll know if I'm situated in that space. So the blend comes from, we take a look at who our learners are, where they're learning, how they're learning, and trying to bring authentic experiences to them. You didn't talk yet, Jennifer, about push-pull, but Jennifer's done a really good job of bringing together the five moments of learner need and this notion of push-pull. When you are in that moment of something has gone wrong or something is changing changing rapidly, do I go and find things or is something served to me? And modern learners... All of us, we're Google search learners, right? You need to learn about us, you Google it. You use a search engine. I need to, right now, need to figure out how to fix my iPhone, I Google it. Or I Bing it, or, you know, I use some kind of search technology. And that's what our learners are already doing. So our role as we're building these blends is to take care of that formal learning, but also make sure people, our learners, respect us and understand that, we should be their Google or their Netflix. They should come to us first because our content is the most reliable. It's easy to get to because we need to put it in the right place. Yes. Right. As opposed to figuring it out on their own. And having it in a context, I think that work of Bob Mosier you cite and the um, five moments of need and the authenticity, I was really working my way toward that word puts it in the right context. It's really very different than pushing someone through a formal event and then you chuck them over the transom again and they're and you hope they land on their feet with knowledge they can apply when they need to apply it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's happening here. So, but I find that interesting, the anticipating that point of need, how it can either be pulled or pushed to them. Can you develop how you envision that playing out? So you, you mentioned context and that's key. That's, that's you know, our key word here. If we want to become, as you put it, Jennifer, the Google of, of learning for our learners, imagine what we push to our learners, we're very careful about designing those experiences, that one-day workshop or that formal workbook that they need to move through or work through. If we want them to pull from us 
in their moments of need, whatever those needs may be. We need to contextualize everything to fit their worlds. So I'll go back to my truck example, my trucking example. You know, the, the trucker does not need to have a, you know, access to a laptop in the truck. What's going to be on that mobile device? Where is that place that he's learning? So we contextualize in both a subject way, but also a place way. Jennifer does a good job about talking about mobile being a place. Yes. Mobile learning is a place. So well, go ahead with that. Yes. Mobile learning is so everybody's talking about it. Let's go mobile. Let's go mobile. Business is talking about it and learning is talking about it. And I read your article on that whole idea of just conceptually, what what is it? And this idea of things being a place that that was very helpful, but I I, I will let you say it. I mean, I think it changes perspective. If we can just, at least for the sake of design discussion, instead of saying mobile is a technology, it's a place, it's a learning environment. Because we tend to fixate on devices and technology. Right. E-learning. Right. You know, yeah. we, on a mobile device, we can have a video, we can have a podcast, we can yes. have e-learning, we could log on to a live online session if we wanted to. All those technologies all work on a mobile device, just like they all work on a desktop situated yes. device, and they all work in a classroom. There's a reason we're in those different places. And that's the context that I want to bring up also. So it's not just subject area context, but it's contextualizing where learning is happening. And that is where the authenticity comes in to play. Absolutely. It seems that a blend helps us avoid the one-size-fits-all mistake of learning design, right? Uh, You make a point about authenticity living at the core of blended learning. Can you develop that idea for us just a little more? Sure. I always go back to this example of Microsoft Excel. Used to be 20 years ago when I first started teaching Windows and Microsoft stuff, if you wanted to learn how to say create a pivot table in Microsoft Excel, you'd sign up for a two-day class because at two o'clock in the afternoon on day two, they would teach you pivot tables. Yes. That was your only option then. Obviously, since then, right now, we can go to lynda.com. We can, we can go yeah. to the help facility. We can do so you many go things. Right, you can go right to the sub-chapter in the lynda.com video set. And, right? and learn exactly what you need right. to learn. Amazing. Yeah. And maybe that's not the most efficient way to learn that particular topic, but something like pivot tables in Excel is low risk. Right. If it takes me three minutes or five minutes or ten minutes, it's a low-risk thing. Eventually, I'm going to be able to create a pivot table. But when you get to content that is proprietary to an organization, a process, a system, a machine, how to use a machine, we can't rely on those outside sources. So the first step in making authentic training is making sure that the content, however it's delivered, is coming from a trusted source, and that source is your organization. So the steps are right, it's up to date, it's accurate. As things change, the content is there. That's our responsibility. The next step is making sure that our learners know it's there. Because a big complaint is, well, I didn't know that tutorial was there, or how was I supposed to know that there was a video that could set me through yes. this? So what we're proposing is in order to build that relationship and have them trust us as learning professionals, is in that formal learning, instead of using 200 PowerPoint slides and a big, big workbook, if we're lucky, is use videos and infographics and tools and worksheets and say, when this happens, take this worksheet out. You can't see me, but I'm holding up a worksheet and use this worksheet. And it's the real worksheet that we expect them to use on the job. Yes. And that's embedded somewhere in the flow of work, which it might be a 
icon on their desktop, or it's something very easy to get to, and each organization is going to need to do that differently. It might on their mobile device, for example. But they've learned how to use the tools, and they know how to get to the tools, and we have given them permission to use the tools. How many times do we hand out action plans at the end of a class and say, here's your action plan, and even if people complete it, there's no follow-up, there's no there's nothing to do with it. There's, there's no, um, no wrap-up to that program. But that almost makes sense because learning doesn't stop. Learning doesn't stop because we've given somebody a certificate. Great. I want to tie it back into your first question a little bit because you talked, Jennifer, about you need to be trusted, right? We trust our sources. We Once we bring the material in-house and we're not creating a blend that's including the whole world, you know, information from the whole world... Part of the struggle to get over, the part of the thing the organization needs to get over is that our content can be part of this blend, that the blend, that poll is not, I'm going to Google, right? We need to sell it that way. So as we become the trusted advisor, the trusted learning partner, right, we partner as with the organization and say that... All of these materials are our materials, and we're shape, reshaping them and reimagining them as learning assets that will we can give our, our learners in their situations, in their moments of learner need. Mm-hmm. Then that sort of that's another way to shape this within the organization to get them to buy in, right? And, and I think that that's yeah. it's that situated piece. How do we become partners? With our learners, how do we become partners with the organization? Right, Felice. We, we look at blended learning often as a technology problem. How do we get the right learning management system? How do we get the right e-learning tools? How do we save money by not putting people on airplanes? And really, if we looked at blended learning as how do we change the way learning is delivered in a way that we know works, we've been talking about chunking learning for the longest time and reusable learning assets, These aren't anything new. It's just we haven't... This is the first time, I think, in the learning industry history that we're able to time-release content, put it in the right place at the right time, and manage that rollout. And also manage how up-to-date the content is and just make sure it's the right stuff. I think there's a sense in which technology has caught up to, to this. You know, talking a few beats back about... The Excel sheet pivot table, you know, we didn't have the technology uh, a couple of decades ago. You, you right. couldn't have imagined Googling something. It was, you know, uh, I'm gonna think, actually, I wonder if Barnes & Noble has a book on the topic. Um, or uh, didn't I get something in the mail about a seminar about Excel? It was That was our option. Exactly. But we forgot something 20 years ago. When I was teaching this stuff, we would create classes from scratch to teach people how to use Word or Excel or any of those software products. And we ignored the relatively rich health facility that was already in the software. Yes. If, if you're old enough, you remember Snippy? Clippy. 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 Yes, Clippy. That Clippy. was all- beloved mascot mm-hmm. of Word. Yeah. Right. Well, we still in have Microsoft Clippy. It's office. called Cortana. Yes. Right? Yeah. That is still there. But instead of us spending all that time creating content that would get updated, out of date every time they had a software update, and teaching that content, what if we just taught people how to use the health facility? Yeah. Just-in-time resource. Right. These are the top 10 things you're going to need to know how to do when using Word. Let's use the health facility to teach it. 
And that would then, be a pull. That would be a pull example of them well, knowing it's there. Embedded help is uh, is actually both. It's a combination of push pull. Okay. And embedded help is something we overlook in this blended industry all the time, in our blended learning design and development all the time. And it's we remember the word help. So sometimes you can call for help, and sometimes see, someone sees you need help. The yes. way technology is evolving now mm-hmm. with adaptive platforms, it, it notices that you might need help. You know, a solution might be in place. It notices you need help and help the learner along. We see this in a lot of learning platforms. You can go out in the vendor and exhibit hall and, and get some you know, insight into that. So embedded help is push and pull, which is very interesting. Mm. But we need to take advantage of it. We do. And if we don't teach our learners that it's okay to use the embedded help or the online system or the job aids, they won't. We need to give some direction up front and then kind of let them go. So one of the things that we talk about when we do a workshop, it's not just here's a job aid, but it's as much as saying here's a job aid, you can hang it on your wall so that when you need to come up with a new instructional design strategy, it will be right there. Or file a claim or you manage an irate customer. This is the place you should embed this in your flow so you don't even notice that you're learning. And so yes. as instructional designers, we used to design those, we're used to designing those pieces, but now we need to instruct, remember the instruct part as well, our learners as to what to do with them or our learning managers. And in a blend, that's that extra layer that needs to be there. We could design the best blend in the world, but if we're not establishing some sort of roadmap with guidance and even a guide, then our learners can get just as lost as they were before we created that blend. So it sounds like there's a lot of strategic analysis, a lot of suitability thinking of like what what form should instruction take. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the job aid will do instead of making them sit through a day of instruction on something. So that is a big part of this. Absolutely. And I refer to it as instructional strategy. People call it all sorts of things. Talk a lot about learning experience design. Uh, And that's my title. You know, I call myself a learning experience designer because it's not about content anymore. We're not content providers. We are not giving our learners that content. We're creating that experience. And that's why it goes beyond just putting that piece out there. We know that we need to engage our learners. Our learners are not engaging with just the content. We need to make sure that they're engaging with each other, that they're engaging with on a you know on a pathway. When you walk along a pathway, yes, you may meander along mm-hmm. on your own out there, but you're going to say hi to the person next to you, and you may, might be able to learn something from them. Creating experiences in these blended spaces so that our learners have ways to navigate. So, are you um, you seem to be hinting at informal learning moments? And Jennifer, you touched on it. You didn't use quite this phrase exactly, but I'm thinking of workflow learning. Is that part of yes. your vocabulary? I mean, it's part of the vocabulary. Yeah. It's you map out the entire job, you might or the task, or you anticipate the process. And we all we're very good at identifying the process, teaching people best case scenario, and creating case studies and these non-real scenarios. We're very good at that because we always had to package them in a day or yes. two or in an e-learning module. But now if we're supporting a whole workflow, instead of this fake case study, wouldn't it be great if I can say, okay, I need to process a claim. Let me pull down a real claim because mm-hmm. I'm at my desk in my real environment, Yes, but I've got a coach. Right. So the Failure rate is low. You can't do that with everything. I mean, some things 
failure means uh, is much more disastrous. Yes. Right. There, there are some skills that you you need to be certified on at a certain point, but we can build that into a blend as well. And actually, wouldn't it be better if the sales manager, as opposed to the sales trainer, is certifying that this person understands the sales process, or a surgeon is is signing off on a, a surgical intern instead of a trainer yeah. signing off on a surgical they're, intern? They're, they're seeing competency. Achieved yeah. in the authentic exactly. workplace. Yes. Exactly. And then that evaluator, whether it's a manager or whoever that evaluator is out in the field, they become our partners too. And they're responsible for saying, Anthony, you can now drive a truck or transplant a heart or whatever. Somebody else is responsible. And that person becomes a coach, becomes a mentor automatically. And they have more buy-in. When I say police can learn at her desk, and she better learn at her desk because I have to sign off on that. And ownership. Ownership was the word I was searching yeah. for. Ownership. And that's important. So tell me a little bit more about the idea of experience design. Do you sort of map out all the, do you analyze the job and where point moments of need occur? Absolutely. And so the biggest piece of the, the LX design process is taking into account who our learners are. It's not about learner styles. It's about learners' generalizations, creating those learner personas understanding their moments of need, knowing where they are, knowing what their pain points are, knowing what gets in the way of them achieving their goals. So it, a lot of it comes from the user experience design area and taking a look. Marketers use this all the time. UX professionals use this yes. all the time. It's a big part of what we call LX now, learner experience design. Understanding those pieces and then taking our goals and objectives and really mapping out an experience that will help our learners reach those goals. Say we have a, a learning objective that I'm going back to the truck every time, right? Joe, Joe will learn to drive that truck. And, uh, but we know that Joe has, and, and Joe is a generalization who is in that population, right? What are some of the challenges that we're going to have for, for that user, that learner to, to complete, to reach that goal. And then we build out scenarios. A lot of learning experience design is storytelling and it's creating those narratives. Once you create those narratives, suddenly you have a language that the team can use to talk to each other, to talk to the learners and to talk to the leaders. Part of what Jennifer talks about is that um, that ownership and buy-in, not just from leadership, but from your manager or for whoever is measuring your success in that space, and being able to have a language that everyone understands coming out of that process is part of that experience design. So it is very much a design thinking process. It's an imagination. You know, we use a lot of imagination and idealization. But failure's built right in there, and it's you know the ability to accept failure. I learned a lot from the usability and UX design field, and bringing this over, just I see benefits specifically in blended learning because what we've done is we've created the blend, we've involved the learner even more, we've put the learner right at that center, and if we're going to do that, we need to create an experience around them, not just throw content at them. But when we're having these conversations, the learners aren't in charge of saying, yes, we want blended learning. We need to partner with the business as well. We've always been great at saying the business says we need a leadership training program for our truck driver supervisors. 
and they tell us what they want to accomplish. Maybe we do some needs analysis if we're really having a good week. And we're great at creating that training at the direction of the business. And and they need to direct it, right? Because they know what the business goals are. So what our challenge is and what what our journey is as learning experience designers is making the goals of the business and the goals of the learners come together over a long term. And doing it in such a way that the business doesn't think we're doing something fluffy, and soft because this this is hard it's science this is real instructional design that will take some time to master from organization to organization mm-hmm. but it's where right. business is going business mm-hmm. is becoming global it's becoming mobile it's becoming relying on social collaborative tools if those are the business tools it, it makes sense to incorporate those into a blended learning solution and teach people how to do their jobs that are in alignment with the way the business is going such an age of disruption and change and so much of what has been the instructional design model is being completely rethought in so many ways or reconfigured. But the rules are still the same. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We still need to start with our learning objectives and how are we going to assess that those learning objectives are being mastered, but we don't need to do it in a day. Right. As a matter right. of fact, everybody knew that we weren't going to master project management in a day and a half class. They were just hoping if we threw enough darts, enough stuff would stick. And that if we threw enough darts, people would take them home and keep throwing them. Right. And let's move on to that because we do talk about perpetual learning and what that means and how, how in that blend, we don't just let them go. We can't let our learners go. And that was my next question is this idea of perpetual learning and so I wanted to ask you, how do you, how does blended learning solve it so that the learning doesn't end with just a formal event, but it's living beyond the training? We always are learning. We wake up or I wake up, I'm on my iPad looking at the news, I click a link, it takes me someplace else, takes me someplace else. Modern learners want to keep learning. I'm not saying it's all sticking. I'm not saying I'm remembering it all, but I'm constantly looking for information. If we recognize that trait in most of us, I think, today, and build that into the learning design, acknowledging it instead of trying to keep people from multitasking, so incorporating right. that task in, uh, we're teaching them, we're teaching all of us that we can take that next step and learn more. It's one click away or one question away. But to keep the learning going we probably need to start to bring in that social collaborative community. The words you'll hear are community of learners and community of practice. So learners are when I'm new to something and communities of practice are when I've reached a level of mastery and I want to interact with my peers to get better. A sales force, for my example, selling a new product, they're an experienced sales force, but I'm going to go to a pharmaceutical company now, I'm going to sell new product X. Anybody have experience with that? So you're looking to our peers as our teachers as well. And we do that naturally, too. Mm -hmm. So to continue the learning and to encourage people to always learn, but learn in the context that we know is appropriate most of the time. I guess we can't keep people reined in all the time. We need to um, provide the framework and give them a reason to play. There's a reason you might go onto Facebook because you're getting some kind of reward People are communicating with you. You're communicating with them. You've got your own community there. I'm not saying let's create a fun, fluffy Facebook community for learning, but there's what would draw us there. Why would I be there? There's experts. 
that are answering questions. There are people that are asking thoughtful questions, and even the questions themselves can be helpful. And we need to teach people that asking questions in a public forum is okay. I think people are afraid to go out and post that because, you know, my manager might see it. I mean, it's creating an ongoing... You want to be seen as knowing the answers, but... uh... But you want to set up a space where learning can happen at any time in any place. And whether it's recreating a water cooler experience Mm -hmm. or setting up a formal question-answer place or making it easy for someone to ask for help in in their moments of need keeps that learning going all the time. Yeah, I met with um, earlier with Julian Stodd. I don't know if you've met this gentleman. He's an expert on social learning, and he um, speaks to this idea and, and in a way sort of semi-formally structuring these spaces that you're talking about so that learning can happen and the sort of the story can be cultivated and it's authentic. It's coming from learners. A lot of this, I think, is answering a question I had for you. You know, if we are trying to anticipate these points of need, it seems to intensify the need for content. But would it be realistic to expect that to all be on the organization, but I think the answer is, is that there's user-generated content. Absolutely. And there's curated content that anyone can bring in and add their commentary to. We know there's a lot of information out there. And to be able to find it and bring it in, and that's what I do. I'm, I'm a curator. Right? Yes. And so my job is to go out and find information that's relevant, and whether it's new or old. Right? Find relevant information, bring it in, and contextualize it and say to my learners, here's what you need. It's your moment of need, and here's where it is, so come and get it's it. It's very helpful. I was going to say this a while back in our conversation that it's wonderful that we can you know, pull Google out of our pocket, but... You know, whether it's me trying to fix my broken lawnmower, right, I'm go- I find myself looking for answers in all the wrong places, you know, uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. It's a song. I'm looking for learning, but it's all the wrong context. And I'm like, I'm and getting part Google, of the right. answer. And Google's it's deciding so what's right, the right they're answer. They're finding it for me. I'm reading something that's kind of like, it's, it's a similar model to my John Deere garden tractor, but it's not really the right one. I hope this is helpful. And you spend a lot of time wheel spinning. What you are doing with the context and being the, the person who knows how to connect the dots for the learners, you're making it so much easier, right? Yeah, and what's important is that when you, if, if you were to reach out to me, or if I'm going through and I come across the lawnmower catalog and it's, oh wait, this this new part came out and everyone needs it or recall of something, I know you have that lawnmower. And so I'm going to say, Anthony, look what I found. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop there. And this is the critical piece. It's, I know this might be of use to you because, and we can, we do this to each other in our language, in our natural language, right? Hey, Jennifer, look what I found. Remember when we were talking about this, you know, we were talking about learning personas. I found this great tool. We can use this in our workshop. So it's what we can all do and what we need to let our learners do. And this is how perpetual learning happens is by giving them the capability, by enabling them to do the same thing for each other. And that's easier than posting on a bulletin board, and that's easier than me, uh, you know, becoming an expert in an area, but to be able to share a link, to be able to share an article, adding to this blend. So, in fact, our learners are pushing content 
back in while they're pulling content down. But it's not this blind pulling. And the connecting the dots piece is really, really important. In a, in a, a learning community, I can become a curator in that community. I need to know that community and I need to know what their needs are going to be also. Yes. So that, you know, you can't just do blind curation. And it doesn't have to be totally organic. Right. One of the values of a blend is it can be so flexible. So instead of the blend ending on X day when everybody has learned or been trained, and then we send them off to mm -hmm. do the work and find their own moments of need, if we, if we make, we formalize a one month or two month checkup in a virtual classroom, 60 minutes, not what's going well for you, but what isn't going well for you. Are you using the tool for that? What problems did you have? What tools would have helped you? When did you go to Sally in HR instead of coming to us? When did you go to Google instead of coming to the content we provided? So them giving feedback as to where the gaps are and then us returning to them saying, here, we, we met that need. Is, does this fix it? That informs our content. Yes. It makes our formal learning better. And it also lets them know, our learners know, that they're part of the process. Yes. It's a kind of a living yeah. body of knowledge. Absolutely. Yes. You mentioned earlier the concept of a learning hub. Can you develop that thought a little bit more for me? We have just launched a product at InSync called the Blended Learning Hub. And it is a community of practice and a community of learning at the same time for learning and development professionals that need to develop skills in how to do blended learning well. Belize is our curator of the hub. She is the face of the hub, the den mother of the hub. And so I'm going to let you explain what that's all about. Sure. So we've created a community, and we call it a perpetual learning space, perpetual learning environment, where we're focusing on a different topic each month. We're creating learning campaigns that fit within our top six categories, and we're the top six practice areas that we focus on in, in modern blended learning. And the real crux of the space is connecting our learners to information, connecting them to each other, and, and building these synergies that we've been talking about this yes. whole time. At the same time, we're modeling an ideal blend. So we've created a blended learning space. Each week we have different types of learning assets that we've put together around a subject. And as we go through the month, we, we start by introducing a topic and going through the basics. The second week of the month, we have a workshop to lead our learners through mastery of certain skills. And of course, it's not going to be everything, right? And, and so by, by week three, they have enough skill to make something. So we do a makerspace, a live makerspace. And then we wrap up in week four by taking a look back at what did we learn? How can we assess what we've learned over this month? And so each week we have infographics, we have videos, we have white papers, we have tools and job aids to measure the impact of all of the things we're talking about all through the month. So by modeling this growth of learning, you know, I, I, as an ecosystem, you know, if we look at it as a greenhouse, like we take one plant area and we, yes. we water and feed this one and watch it grow together and, and sort of prop up all the information, learn together. And then we move on to the next month with a new topic. Like our first month was uh, basics, the basics of instructional design for modern blended learning. We've got a great group in there. We've got in people who are brand new learning from people who've been in the industry for a long time. Mm. And then next month, we're moving on to the modern learner. 
and taking everyone through what is a modern learner, what are the challenges we face in this space. And what we're finding is that there are so many pieces that we miss as practitioners. And sometimes it's the little beginning pieces or sometimes it's more advanced pieces. But what we're trying to do is also help people shape their own learning pathways and to understand that as practitioners in this field, we're the cobblers with worn out shoes, Mm -hmm. right? How do we establish our own learning pathways and set people through and send people through those learning pathways? Having our learners share what did they learn today, having them participate in conversations and also, uh, you know, giving them a mind for the business if they want to touch into that space, giving a mind for mindsets, tools, and technologies, treatments, and techniques. And this is a real great example of perpetual learning. Month one, blended learning instructional design. Well, month three will be micro-learning, and a month, and maybe it's month five, is gamification. Different topics each month, but they're all using the same language. So when we talk about gamification as an instructional strategy, uh, we tie back to what we taught in the instructional design module. Now, not everybody's going to need that, but if they do, they can reach back in the same language, the same content, even though we're bringing in expertise from the field. Everything's familiar and everything's in context. I think one of the problems when we come to a conference, she might talk about, uh, Felice might talk about learning experience design, I might talk about virtual classrooms, and Carl Kapp might talk about gamification, and we're all brilliant, just ask us. <laughs> we've got our books, you know, we've got our reputations, but we're not talking about how to gamify a virtual classroom or how learning experience design and gamification go together because we're teaching everybody in these one-hour yeah. silos. We're sort of, I was going to use the word, we're a bit siloed here. We're also yeah. pulled out of our work context, mm-hmm. you know, to come here and, and then we've, we're getting compartmentalized instruction. But all these things are actually connected. Yes. Gamification and virtual classrooms are not two separate concepts. They're connected. Yes. And how yeah. do you connect them? And those connections are how we help people continue to learn perpetually. Well, what's amazing, I've done, I'm sorry, I've done five interviews today, and I'm seeing common strands that run throughout all the conversations, and it's, it's, I almost wish I could have had everyone at a round table all day long, because Absolutely. they would have all meshed together, you know, perfectly. We should get together, we should have a virtual uh, session sometime and have that conversation. Yeah. Well, I'll have to just make sure I, <laughs> I get all these podcast invitations <laughs> out to everyone. Exactly. And maybe we'll do it on Skype or something, but this has been a lot of fun. Uh, you've been very generous with your time, Jennifer and Felice. Thank you again. Can I have you back some other time? We'd love, love, love to. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.